Hey there, and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast, streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email. We send this out once a week. It's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online. Apart from that, there is a give button. So if you're feeling led, you can do that right online through our website. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. We are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that God's going to do something special in you through today's message. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. Uh, Before I get into my message, I want to say happy anniversary to my wife. Today is our anniversary. Guess how many years we've been married? Guess what we're celebrating? Who said 28? Did I hear a 28 out there? Uh, No, 23 years today we are celebrating. So... Yeah, give her a round of applause for surviving that long with me. And, uh, amen. Uh, you know, it's strange because I'm only 25. And so, to have been married this long is kind of crazy. But anyway. Um, hey, we are in a new book. If you have not been with us the last few weeks, we started a new book of, Bi- of the Bible. Uh, not last Sunday, but the Sunday previous. We started the book of Hebrews. And Ross introduced us to the book of Hebrews and took us through the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, which basically was all about how Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than angels. That was kind of the key theme of chapter one. And in fact, it's kind of a key theme of the entire book of Hebrews, is that Jesus is better, not just than angels, but anything. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's going to be the theme we're going to see throughout. Angels, Jesus is better. Humanity, Jesus is easily better. Moses, Jesus is better. Old Covenant, Jesus is better. Sacrificial system, Jesus is better. It doesn't matter what it is, Jesus is better. Ferrari, Jesus is better. In-N-Out Burger, some of you may think it's a close call, but no, Jesus is far better, even than In-N-Out Burger. I don't care what it is, Jesus is better. He's kind of like, he's kind of like that friend. I don't know if you have that friend that's just better at everything than you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Any of you have that kind of a friend? doesn't matter what it is, they're always better. I have a friend like that. His name's Brandon Ferguson. He's skipping out this morning, so make sure you razz him if you see him next Sunday. Um, Brandon is one of those guys who is just better at everything. And uh, I remember when I first met Brandon a number of years ago and found out, oh, he's a mountain biker. Oh, cool, let's go mountain biking. I'm like, wow, this guy's way better. And then, oh, he surfs, let's go surfing. Blows me away. In fact, he'll like be on waves and I'll be paddling back out, and he'll like see me, and he'll be like, ha and he'll come close to me, and then carve right in my face, and spray me with water and stuff, <laughs> as I'm going over the wave, and he's better, you know, I remember when the climbing gym came to town, and I was like, finally, there's going to be something that I'm better than Brandon at, <laughs> and uh, we're a close call, he's, he's a little better at some of it, and I'm a little better at some of it, but Jesus is like that friend, he's just better at everything, <laughs> but here's the thing about that friend that's better than everything at you, Jesus is better. So Brandon Ferguson, because I'm sure you're going to watch this later, Jesus is better. He's got you beat. So, and, and here's the thing. Because Jesus is always better, his salvation isn't just better, it's the best. 
Because the reality is, is there is no other salvation outside of Christ. Simply the best. And so I want us this morning, I want to in fact look at what the author of Hebrews speaks of or calls his salvation this morning in the passage we're going to be looking at. Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, in the seat back in front of you, there should be one that you can grab. And if you're looking for the book of Hebrews, go to the back of the Bible. You'll find Revelation. And then just go back a few books. You'll hit John and Peter. And, uh, and then eventually you're going to get to James and then Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 2. We're only going to be looking at the first four, four verses of the chapter this morning. But let's look at what the author of Hebrews speaks about or calls this salvation that Christ provides. So Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it's on page 1001 in your Bibles. Because I think most of the Bibles in the seatbacks are the same as mine, so it actually will be on that page. It says this, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Did you notice what the author of Hebrews called this salvation? What did he call it? In, in, in verse 3, he labeled it. He, he had, it wasn't just salvation, but such a great salvation. I think we have that for you on the screen. Is everything working there good? Such a great salvation. It's not just salvation. It's, in fact, such a great salvation. And is it not? If you think about it, I mean, we're saved by a great Savior, are we not? Right? From a great penalty, <laughs> right? At a great cost. It's a great salvation. And here's what we're going to look at this morning, is that because it is such a great salvation... We're going to see that the author of Hebrews tells us it carries with it two things. First of all, a great warning, and then also a great witness. A great warning and a great witness. That's what we're going to see this morning. Why don't we pray, and then we're going to look at these verses in depth together. Father, I, um, I thank you for the salvation that, uh, that you provided. The great price that was paid, the great penalty that was, that was taken in my place and in our place, Lord. I thank you for the great Savior that you truly are. And Jesus, I pray this morning that through your word, you would challenge and speak to us. And God, help us to realize and to focus in again on just the great work that you have done for us. Bless our time this morning as we open your word. I thank you, God, for your word, that it's not my word, but it's your word. Be honored in it, we pray. Amen. All right. Now, the first thing that we're going to see about such a great salvation is it requires a great warning. And just a reminder, um, I know Ross did a, a of in-depth introduction uh, two Sundays ago when we started the book of Hebrews. And in it, he talked about this, but I want to remind you that this book of Hebrews was written to, who do you think? Just say the name of the book and you'll get it right. Hebrews. Jews. Jewish people that had become Christians. They were Hebrews. And these were Jewish uh, people that had embraced Jesus as their, as their Messiah, as their Savior, and uh, they were now Christians. But the reality is what was going on is they were being very much pressured to abandon Jesus, kind of to return to the old way. In fact, some of them actually, uh, commentaries talk about how they had actually had confiscation of, of, of property. There had been persecution even coming upon these Jews by other fellow Jews, other Hebrews, that were trying to convince them, listen, drop the Jesus thing, come back to what you know. Come back to what you were raised with. And so there was intense pressure abandon Jesus, and if not abandon Jesus, at least add to what he's doing. Because the reality is, is come on, really, is it enough to actually just believe? Believe, that's it? 
just have faith? That's so silly. It can't be just that. And so chapter one of Hebrews, Ross talked about this. It established that Jesus is enough. He's even greater, in fact, than angels. Why is he greater than angels? Chapter one brings out the fact that because he's God. He's God in the flesh. And his message is therefore greater. And so chapter two begins, therefore. Therefore. And so whenever we see a therefore, what do we ask? Yeah, what is that therefore? Therefore. Right? What is that therefore, therefore? And so we always got to see the context of what's being spoken of because it's referring or relating to what was spoken right before it. So I'm not going to go through all of chapter 1 because verse 14, the last chapter of chapter 1, summarizes it for us well. And so go back, if you have your Bibles open, just to the, the, the verse previous to chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, Are they, speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Well, who is that? Who inherits salvation? We do. That's us. Okay? So then remember, there's no, there's no chapter or verse breaks in the original text. So immediately it goes into the next words here. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So he's saying this. Angels, as great as they are. In fact, if an angel were to appear right now on the stage, what would we do? Well, that's cool. No, we'd be like, oh, we'd freak out. We'd probably, we'd probably be hiding. We'd probably be like, what's going on, right? It, it would be pretty impressive. And he says, even though angels are pretty fantastic, remember, they've been sent to, in fact, serve us that inherit salvation. They serve us. These amazing beings, they serve us. Therefore, he says this, when it comes to our salvation, make sure you pay close attention. Pay close attention. How many of you struggle with paying attention? Some of you are already dozing off, <laughs> right? Anybody here already fallen asleep? Now, you won't be able to put up your hand. Jorance, come on, how can you raise your hand? You're obviously not asleep. <laughs> right? Some of you, if someone's falling asleep beside you, I give you the freedom today to give them a big elbow, good little pinch. That's what we, yeah, I won't say it. Anyway, yeah, you can, you can give them a little pinch if they're sitting beside you and falling asleep. Some of us have a struggle paying attention in, you know, in certain situations. You know, you're already here and you're like, oh boy, here he goes. I know some of you, maybe your mind is wandering a bit, right? Your mind starts to wander. You're already dreaming of the AGM. Ah, I can't wait for that AGM. I'm so excited. What's that guy talking about on stage, right? Like, I know what's going on. Right? We struggle to pay attention. I have a good friend of mine who um, pastors in Nanaimo, and uh, they, they, didn't have, they don't have their own building, their own space. And so for the longest time, they rented the Galaxy Cinemas. Have you ever been to that movie theater in Nanaimo? Talk about, that. okay, so it's got big leather recliners <laughs> that you sit in. That's what everyone got to sit in. He said every time, he, by the time the worship time was done, and it was like it was his turn to get up and preach the message, he'd get up, and all he would hear was, all the seat backs going back and this <laughs> talk about a hard like paying attention in that situation would be really difficult right and some of us we got a bit of the add adhd thing we're a bit of daydreamers going on and sometimes it's not too serious right sometimes paying attention isn't the most serious thing you're reading a book and you know have you ever done that and you're like what did i just read i do that sometimes i'm like what what was it your, your, your brain just wanders. You're watching TV and it just disappears. It's not so always serious. Sometimes it's really serious that, you're, that you need to be paying more closer attention, such as with your spouse. Have you ever, men, I'm mostly speaking with you, husbands, have you ever heard your spouse say to you, are you even listening? Anybody ever heard them say that? Yeah? I think the, it, the worst thing is for me, see, I have an excuse. Why are you laughing? No, I do. I have an excuse. I really do. I have an excuse. I had brain surgery like six or seven years ago. However, I can't remember. So yeah, I had brain surgery. So my memory isn't the greatest. Uh, and so I have an excuse for why I forget things. And so, but I can only play that card so many times before Andrea, this is the worst line. I can't stand it when she says this. 
uh, she'll sometimes say to me, I'm really worried about your brain. And what that means is this, Peter, you have forgotten something or you weren't listening again <laughs> and you're busted. And so sometimes it's really serious that you need to pay attention, such as talking to your wife. But honestly, there's nothing worse, there's nothing more serious than paying attention to Jesus. Nothing worse than not paying attention to what Jesus has to say, to just tuning him out. And in fact, the author of Hebrews, he says this already in verse one, pay more closer attention, pay closer attention to what Jesus, the salvation he's brought. The reality is because he's gonna tell us in a little bit here that it carries eternal consequences. And that is the warning of not paying attention. What does verse one, in fact, go on to say? Why does it say we gotta pay more careful attention? What does it say? You gotta look in your Bibles. Don't look at me or the screen, it's not there. Look in your Bibles, what does it say? You got to pay more, closer attention. Why? Yeah, what will happen? Lest we drift away. He says that if you don't pay close attention, there's a danger of something called drift. Drifting. It, it's the, obviously, you get the picture of what? What do you think when you hear the word drift? I think of a boat. Distracted, okay? Distracted. A boat, though, is, a, is specifically what we're thinking of, right? A boat drifts, doesn't it? What does a boat need to do to drift? Nothing. Precisely. Nothing, nothing. A boat doesn't do, have to do anything to drift. It'll just drift. Do nothing and it drifts. And that's the danger, he says. When you don't pay attention, you're just gonna naturally start to drift. It makes me think of surfing out at Port Renfrew. There's a river there. How many of you have ever done the West Coast Trail? If you start or end at Port Renfrew, right there is an incredible surf spot right across the river. And it's not the biggest river. It's, it's, it's I don't know, maybe the width, bit, bit wider than this room kind of thing. And, and that river pushes so hard when you're surfing at Port Renfrew that, that, that you get into the water. It's the easiest paddle out. Do you know why? All you do is jump into the water in the river and you just, you know, I just lay on my surfboard and it takes me right out to the waves. But when I'm out there with Brandon, he always tells me, he says, careful, that thing will push you all the way to China. <laughs> it will. You don't have to do anything. In fact, paddling out is simple. I just lay on my surfboard and it literally takes me right to the waves. Then once I get out to the waves, what I have to do is this. Continually, you continually have to paddle against the current that's pushing against you because that river's trying so hard to push you way out to China and way down the beach. And so you gotta continually paddle if you wanna stay where the waves are breaking. So it's an easy paddle, but once you're out there, it's nonstop paddling. I remember, Nick, do you remember the time we went out there with Brandon? And it was like nonstop, all we did was paddle. Are we even gonna surf? Like you just paddle all the time, trying to keep yourself where the waves are breaking. And that's kind of the reality, I think, of the, the situation that we are in today. And that those, it's no different from the time that these Jewish believers were in back in this day. They're, that the cultural pressure and current is pushing against us all the time. Continually pushing us. Continually pushing us. And so what does the author of Hebrews says? He says, you know what you got to do? you got to pay much closer attention to what you've heard. The salvation, the word that Christ has spoken to you. Or what's going to happen? You're going to just drift. I think about even in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer. You know the story. Phil, um, um, Paul and Silas are in prison. They're in the, the bottom, the worst place of the prison. They're worshiping. They're praising God as they've been beat. They've been, they've been just a horrible, horrible situation. And around midnight, what happens to those prison doors? They fling open. The prison doors fling open. And the jailer awakes, basically, to realize, I'm in big trouble. All my prisoners are going to be gone. All the doors are open. And he's going to kill himself. And what do Paul and Silas say? Stop, we're all here. Don't do it. And so he doesn't. He doesn't take his life. Instead, what does he do? He realizes the God that these people serve, wow, there's something different about them. And he says to them, what, do you remember what he says? What must I do to be saved? 
What must I do to be saved? And what do they tell him? They just simply say, just believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. Amazing, amazing. Now flip that around. Think of it this way. He says, what must I do to be saved? Just the opposite. What if we were to ask the question, what must I do to be lost? You know the answer. Nothing. Don't do anything. And you'll just drift with the culture. You see, the problem for the Hebrews and for us, it wasn't one of ignorance or of not knowing the truth. The, the problem or the danger is, in fact, is, is actually knowing the truth and not doing anything with it. Just drifting, not worshiping, not surrendering, not obeying, just drifting. And, and here's the crazy thing. And I might, you know, hit a few nerves here, but COVID has made it easier than ever to just drift, hasn't it? It really has. COVID, we kind of got locked away in our homes and we kind of were like, this is nice and easy and cozy. And we just can kind of now just kind of make it easier and easier to just do nothing. It's, it's, it's easy. It's an easy thing to just drift, get out of habit, get out of routine, and it gets easier and easier. Well, how do I know if I've drifted? All I would say is this. Are you backslidden? Oh, thank God I'm not backslidden. Because what do we think about backsliders? We generally think backsliders are people that have completely abandoned Jesus and are out partying all weekend, right? But really, think about the word backslidden or backslider. What is it? It just simply means to be slidden back from a place where you once were. So all I'd ask you is this. Are you drifting? Are you closer to Jesus than you were yesterday, today? Are you closer? Or this year? Are you closer this year to Jesus than you were last year? If not, maybe you're drifting. Maybe you're backsliding in a sense. And, and you know, the problem is truly, it really comes down to not paying close enough attention. We just get caught up with everything else that is going around us in life. And I think sometimes we could use like a, a spiritual slap in the face. I think that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get at. And I was thinking this morning, perhaps we need to give each other a spiritual slap in the face. Some of you are like, I really want to slap them right now. <laughs> so, oh, I saw a brother's hand going close to the... <laughs> I won't, I won't let you do that. Um, no slapping each other. I was thinking of maybe giving like a glass of water. And then every one of you is like, you could like throw it in the face of the person beside you, right? It like just, that's kind of what the author of Hebrews is kind of saying though. He's like, you need to wake up. You need to realize how great a salvation it is that Christ has provided for you. What he's purchased for you. You got to fully surrender. You got to wake up. Are you living for yourself or are you living for him? Are you drifting? And what's the solution to drifting? Anyone know what the solution is to a boat that drifts? An anchor. Just got to throw an anchor over. You know, what's interesting is that we're going to read coming up in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, that our confidence of God's promises in Christ, you know what the author of Hebrews calls it? He says it is an anchor for your soul. It's an anchor for your soul. You got to remind yourself daily of those promises so that you don't drift. Get into the word of God. Get into the word. Know what God has promised to you in Jesus. Make it an anchor for your soul. Well, the author goes on even more now to develop this in verse two. Look at verse two in your text. He says this, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So I'm gonna stop with that kind of thought right there. Think about this. So he's saying this. Think about the message that angels brought. The message that angels brought, were they reliable? That's what he's saying. It was reliable. Was it fulfilled? The messages that angels brought. This isn't a trick, trick question. Yes or no? The message that angels brought to people, were they reliable and fulfilled? 
Yes, of course they were. Think about, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah. The, angel came and, and the angels came and they warned Lot and his family that this place is going to be destroyed. Was that a reliable message? Yeah, it happened. In fact, he had to drag Lot and the family away from Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about, you know, even, would you say this about the Old Covenant? Was it a reliable message, the Old Covenant? Do you, do you think that it carried with it consequences when you did not follow the Old Covenant? Well, of course. Do you know, actually, numerous scriptures tell us that the Old Covenant was actually given through angels. That was a message that was actually presented through angels. A number, the law of Moses, it was actually given through angels. Were the yeah, there were consequences to not obeying. And so what the author of Hebrews is getting at is this. If God enforces the message, the message of angels, the covenant that was delivered by angels, and we've already had this established all in chapter one, and Jesus is greater than angels, how much more seriously will he take the words and the covenant that's been instituted by Jesus Christ himself? Right? Of course he's going to take it mega seriously. He says, if there were consequences to not following the covenant that angels brought in, how much more then the covenant that Jesus has brought in? And so this is why the author of Hebrews then goes on to warn us in verse 3. Verse three how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If Jesus is greater than angels and their, their word was held reliable and carried out and there were consequences to not following it, how much more Jesus' word? And he says that. He says, well, then how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Jesus is far superior to angels. If you reject his salvation in his word, how shall you escape? What's the answer? You can't. You don't. There's no answer to it. You can't. How? You can't. It's impossible. There's no salvation found outside of Christ. I mean, this is a great word for those that have not put their faith in Jesus. A great word to encourage those that, listen, this is the offer of Christ's salvation. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us. It says, For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, look what he says now. The right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. And this is a great word. You could use this in many ways. As the author of Hebrews talks about, maybe you have not put your faith and your trust and you have not humbled yourself before Christ, repented of your sins and not come to Christ for forgiveness of sins, to be washed clean and to have a hope for eternal life in Jesus through Christ and Christ's work alone. And if that's you, you need to do that today. That's what, that's what, that's what Paul tells us in Corinthians. Do it today. Why choose judgment when you can have eternal life in Christ? That's essentially what's going on here. And, and, and that's a great word that we could think about. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But I want us to notice something here. The author of Hebrews is not writing to non-believers, is he? Who is he writing to? We established this right at the start of the message. Christians. Jews that were, were followers of Christ now. He's writing to Christians. And I use the word reject such a great salvation. He uses a much lighter word. What did he use? Neglect. Neglect. Not even reject, just neglect. The word neglect in the Greek actually speaks of of taking a matter lightly or not worthy of notice. That's what the word kind of means. Just kind of like, eh, whatever, whatever. And so you see this warning of drifting and neglect. It's not just some warning about the danger of entering into grave sin as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Watch out for these sins. Of course, we have to as well. And of course, of course, you know, the world and sin and carnality and temptation can all drag us away from Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's a no-brainer. But the warning that he's giving us here is that one of the greatest dangers that we face as Christians 
is just the familiar, just taking things lightly. I've read the Bible enough. I've heard it said before, I read that all the, every year when I was a teenager, I used to read the Bible. Well, why not anymore? I've, I've prayed enough. I've gone to church enough. You should definitely do that. But me, I, I'm okay. I'm strong. I've done that. I've done it enough. I'm good. And we neglect. We just kind of are like, it's not a big deal. We neglect our salvation. It's kind of like, kind of like living, I think of it this way, like living next door to Disneyland. If you were to live next door to Disneyland, I imagine, you know, what's, the, what's Disneyland called? It's called the Magic Kingdom. And I assume, I don't know, I've only been to Disneyland, well, I went when I was like a little kid, I don't remember that time, but more recently I've gone, and, and I would assume when you go to Disneyland over and over and over again, the magic starts to wear off probably, hey? If you live next door to Disneyland, the first time you go, it's magical. It's amazing. And the second time, oh, it's probably still super magical, incredible. Probably even the 10th, probably, I would say even probably 50th time you go. It's like, wow, it's incredible. A hundredth time, there's a lot to see, a lot of ground to cover. But I would imagine by that like 200, 300, 400, maybe the fifth, you know, the 500th time, you're kind of going like, ah, I've kind of been here, done that. I remember actually when I went to Disneyland, um, there were people that would come to the park that did live next door to Disneyland, and they would go just for the pins because there were certain pins that would be released only on certain days. And they would just come in, get their pins, and leave. They, had, they didn't, couldn't care less about the rest of Disneyland anymore, right? Because you get so familiar with it. It gets so just kind of like, I, I know exactly what that ride's like. When we went to Disneyland uh, about three years ago, four years ago, we took our kids, and um, we had a blast. It was fun. It was magical. I'll say that. And, but we went on a certain ride called Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's this ride where you, um, you sit in this, um, this, these seats and then it goes up and they, these doors open and they show you these like video clips from the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. And then as that clip finishes, all of a sudden the seat just disappears. And it, the whole thing just drops. And, and then it stops and then it goes way up and then it opens another door and then it, and it just, and it's, so it's all these like, you don't know when it's gonna stop and go. And the first time I did, I was like, I'm gonna die! You know, like I'm thinking, I'm, like it was crazy. I have a picture. This was, you know, we rode this thing nonstop. I don't know if you can see it there, but that's me in the middle, in the bottom. <laughs> I don't, and if you know Phil and Emily Cowley, that's them beside, and then that's Micah on the side. I, I fell asleep. Actually, I didn't fall asleep. See, what happens is you, you go enough times, you realize, I know when it takes the picture. And so, so we figure out where the picture's going to be taken. I'd be like, okay, act as if I was falling asleep. You know, Micah and I would do it on all the other rides, like whatever the, what's the, the roller coaster one? Space, Space Mountain, right? And it's like, there's a picture, I, I, I didn't want to show it because I didn't know if Andrew would be embarrassed because she's like, just hanging on for dear life and Mike and I are like, as if we fell asleep. But that's the reality. You can do something enough times and you know exactly what's coming next and it kind of loses the wonder and the magic and it's just kind of like, ah, oh, whatever, right? You know, you know when it's coming, you know what's happening. The magic wears off. Now, if somebody were to ask, you know, if I live next door to Disneyland and and someone were to ask me, like, oh, should I go to Disneyland? And I'd been there thousands of times. I'd be like, absolutely, it's amazing. But you know what would probably happen if they said to me, hey, do you want to come? We're going, I'd probably be like, yeah, I've been there, done that. I don't want to wait in the lines. I don't want to spend the time doing that. It's okay. But you should go. And I wonder if sometimes if that's what begins to happen in our life as Christians, we lose the wonder. We lose the wonder. And it's kind of like, you know what? You should go. You should do it. But ah, yeah, I've done it enough. Just familiar. You know, Pastor John Corson, uh, he gives this illustration in his commentary of a train. He says, there you are, shoveling coal into the boiler. 
chucking wood into the fire, making sure the train of which you are the engineer reaches its destination until you say to yourself, we're cruising fine, we're making good time. Why should I keep shoveling this coal and splitting this wood for the fire? So you stop. And guess what happens? The train goes just fine. This is great, you say. I don't need to keep feeding the fire, we're cruising. But unbeknownst to you and imperceptible to your family and friends in the passenger cars behind you, the train is slowing down at such a rate that no one realizes what's happening. Finally, 10 miles down the track, the train slows to a stop. What's going on? Your family and friends holler. Uh, the train stopped, you reply. Why, they ask. And if you're honest, you have to say, the problem isn't the present location. It's what I stopped doing 12 miles back when I stopped feeding the fire, thinking that I could just cruise. And is that not, I think that's a great picture of just drift and neglect. We just kind of think we can go into this kind of cruise mode. The words of Christ and salvation, all those things just become familiar in our lives. And we just, we just want to cruise. Yet there's all kinds of pressures. There's all kinds of, I would say more so, voices in our culture that are telling us, live this way, think this way, do this, do that, go here, buy this, buy that, telling you how to live. And when you just begin to cruise or drift or neglect, whatever voice is going to be loudest is going to be the one that's going to steer you in the clearest direction. Whether that voice is your own selfishness, whether that voice is the culture, whether it's your friends, or whether it's even maybe the enemy. Whatever voice we give preeminence to in our lives is going to drift us in that direction if it's not the voice of Jesus. And this is why, secondly, we see in the passage that such a great salvation also requires a great witness, a great voice, I would say. You see, beginning in the second half of verse 1, the author of Hebrews, he points out four witnesses to Christ's salvation. First, we read this in verse 3. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It, talking about the great salvation that Christ has declared and given to us, it was declared at first by the Lord. Jesus himself is the voice, the first voice that, that declared his salvation. Many times, many ways, I think the most common form of his salvation being declared is found at baseball games. That's the way he probably de declared it the most. What am I talking about? Do you remember when you used to always see at baseball games, John 3.16 held up in the crowd? Right? John 3.16, but that's how he declared his salvation, what he did. He declared it to us at first by saying that for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him and follows the Sabbath. No, 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 he didn't say that, did he? Whoever believes in him and, and, and obeys the sacrificial system. No, he just said simply, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He also told us this in John 14.6, we read this, that Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, these are just two of the many bold and, and amazing claims and promises that Jesus made. But he backed it all up, didn't he? He backed it up. Why? Because he said he would prove his authority. He'd prove the statements that he made, the claims that he made by one thing. What was that? That he would die and rise again. And he did. He did. So Jesus was the first witness of his salvation. But secondly, verse 3 goes on to say this, and it was attested to us by those who heard. See, there were apostles and there were disciples of Christ that witnessed his miracles and, and his signs and wonders. They witnessed his death and his resurrection. In fact, uh, according to the Bible as well, we read that there was many different occasions that Jesus appeared after he rose from the dead to all kinds of people. In fact, on one occasion alone, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And so, the, so these people then, 
What did they do? They went out and began preaching the gospel. That's what the book of Acts is all about. They began telling the good news, the salvation of Jesus to everywhere and everybody that they went to. In fact, a whole bunch of those people, if you even look at just those, those uh, first 12 apostles, only one of those 12 didn't die a horrible martyr's death on account of testifying to the, the salvation work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. And then the author of Hebrews is telling us that it continued. Others continued to speak of this salvation and it got passed on. This is how the apostle John wrote of it, of his own, you know, attesting to what Jesus did. First John Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1 says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. So what's he saying? Listen, we saw, we touched, we, we were right with them, and then we told you, and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, is that it's just been passed on. We heard it from others. So others attested to this great salvation, but then we read about a third witness of Christ's salvation. And who is that? What does verse 4 tell us? Who was the third witness of his salvation? Someone's phone. God himself. God himself. God the Father was a third witness to the salvation of Christ. In fact, it says that he bore witness in a number of ways. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. So what did he do? God, it says he gave signs. What are signs? Well, we still use signs today, do we not? Yeah, we do. We've got signs in this building. We've got signs on the streets as you drive, right? What's a sign? A sign is just something that's placed in an important, like a critical place to help direct you to your destination, to make sure you get to the right place that you're wanting to go. Right? To ensure that we, we come to the proper conclusion at the end of our journey or our search. It says that God also bore witness with wonders. Now, if you're wondering, a wonder is something that makes you wonder. That's what a wonder is, right? It, it's something like so extraordinary that it captures your attention and it makes you go, what on earth is going on here? It makes you wonder, what is going on here? This is not normal, this is different. And then we're also told that God also bore witness with signs, wonders, and various miracles. With the, exactly that kind of same purpose, basically, of signs and wonders. Right? To be a sign that Jesus is, is more than some good teacher, to really make you wonder who he is. Think about, about the miracles, the, the raising of the dead, the cleansing of lepers, the healing of all kinds of people. Huge crowds would gather, and what would happen? They'd begin to ask, and they would begin to wonder, what is going on here? What is the signs that are being provided right now telling us about this Jesus and what he's doing? Well, the final witness the author of Hebrews mentions is God the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 told us that such a great salvation was declared by Jesus, attested to us by the, uh, uh, others such as apostles and disciples, and then God the Father, and then finishing off in verse 4, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You know, uh, the book of Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus for his ministry. For three and a half years, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to go and do amazing signs and wonders, miracles, all kinds of things. But then you know this, on the day of Pentecost, what happened? The Holy Spirit was then poured upon the church. All flesh, the Bible tells us. And Christians began to take up that mantle as well of testifying, the Holy Spirit using them and empowering them to testify 
of the salvation of Jesus. And it continues right up to today. The book of Acts, you know, we, we learned that when we studied Acts. If you remember, we did, went all the way to chapter 28 and then we continued with chapter 29. And Acts chapter 29 is us, the church. The, the Acts chapter 29 is still being written through us because the Holy Spirit is still working, still confirming with gifts given to his church the salvation work of Jesus. Those are the voices, the, the witnesses the, the, that, that God has given about the, the great salvation that we have in Christ. I think those are some pretty valid witnesses, if you ask me. And all of it is to point out and to affirm basically this fact, Christ's superiority, that Christ is greater. And, and actually how unbelievably, if you think about how heavy a thing it is for us to ignore, to neglect any of Christ's words, but especially that of his word of great salvation that he has provided. As we close this morning, I just want to ask you this. Are you paying close attention to Christ right now in your life? Have you tuned him out? Have you tuned him out in some way? Are you closer today than you were yesterday? Or has there been a tendency in your life to drift and just to neglect what Jesus wants to do through his word and through the great salvation that he has provided? Yeah, and listen, I know it's not easy to pay full attention to Jesus all the time. There's, there's lots of distractions in life, some of them good, some of them not so good. And the answer, of course, to paying more close attention to Jesus isn't, isn't checking out of this world and moving to a monastery where it's all my focus will only be on Jesus and Jesus alone. That's, that's not what we're called to do. That's not the solution. I think the solution in many ways is just to simply bring him into every part of your life, to just be conscious of what he's up to in every moment of your life because he's always there. So when you go to work, don't leave Jesus behind. When you go to school, Remember, it's Jesus with you because that's the truth, right? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always, he says to the very end of the age. And so I think in many ways, we just need to learn again how to, as, as it was, I think Andrew Murray talked about it, practice the presence of Christ. 24-7, just practice that his presence is with us all the time. Pay attention, pay attention. As we prepare for communion this morning, I, I just, I want us to, to dwell on this and think about this. Uh, am I drifting? Am I neglecting in some way the salvation that Christ has provided for me. You know, maybe God has been working signs, wonders, and miracles in your life, and maybe you're here and you've been ignoring them. Maybe you've been neglecting his love displayed for you. If you have never put your faith in Christ and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, don't neglect, don't reject the great salvation that Christ has provided for you. Listen, you can turn from your way of life. You can turn to Christ. You can put your, your faith, your trust, your hope in him. You can repent of your sins and allow him to be the one that pays the price for your sins. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith or your trust in Jesus, you can do that today. And you can join us in communion. You can join us in remembering the work that Christ did for us on the cross and in his resurrection. But I also want to ask you this. Maybe you're here and you have put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been drifting. You know, we sometimes refer to communion as the table where Jesus first instituted it at, at that table with the disciples. And I want you to know this, that if you've been drifting, the table invites you back. The work of Christ invites you back into a place of communion with him, unity with him. And so I just want us right now, even in this moment, just to begin, just close our eyes and just ask him, Lord, have I been drifting in some sort of way? Have I been neglecting, not taking seriously your word and, and your work of salvation provided for me? We invite you right now to speak and just to show and to reveal to us 
God, remind us of the great work that you did on that cross to the fact that, that the author of Hebrews actually calls it such a great salvation. It's not just salvation. It is such a great salvation. And Lord, I just pray right now if there's anybody here this morning, Jesus, that doesn't know you, that this would be that opportunity. This would be that time, as we read in that passage from 2 Corinthians 6-2, that today is the day of salvation. And so God, if there's anybody here this morning, I pray that you'd be drawing them, that you'd be showing them, God, the love that you have for them, the seriousness of their sin and how it separates them, and that there's actual eternal judgment that will come because of that sin. But Jesus, you did a work on the cross, paying the price for that sin, and you rose from the dead so that they can have new life in you. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here this morning, join us online or here in-house that needs to put their faith in you, that today would be the day. And for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us right now about any sort of drift, any sort of neglect of your great salvation. Help us to come back to the table. I thank you that your word tells us that it's your kindness that leads to repentance. And draw us back, I pray, Jesus. I just pray right now. I just pray against guilt. God, if there's people here this morning that just feel like they, they've, they've drifted too far, they've gone too far, Lord, it's never too far with you because your work is so great. It encompasses everything that we could ever do or think. And so I pray, God, that we'd be drawn back to that place in you. Help us, Lord. Pray, God, for those joining us online right now that you would bless them and encourage them, God, this day. Lord, that they would be reminded once again of the great work that you did. That they would just sense your presence even now in their homes, wherever they might be viewing. And God, that each and every one of us, whether online or here in-house today, would leave today drawing closer to you, not drifting, not neglecting, but coming closer taking the steps that we need to take to draw near to God. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I pray God's blessing on you as you go, that you would press into him and not drift and not neglect. His great salvation. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.